peace and blessings. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's guest is Octavio Salvado. Octavio is the co-founder, director, and primary teacher at a fantastic yoga school in Chenggu, Bali, called The Practice. I absolutely love what he and his team have brought to life at The Practice. Their focus on keeping the rich traditions of yoga alive. They have done it beautifully. Octavio embodies such grace, such wisdom, such a diverse knowledge base, yet is grounded and accessible and relatable and relevant for today's world. He is a family man. He is a powerhouse. He is a dear friend. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do as well. If you do enjoy it, please leave comments, leave reviews, share the love. It really does help spread the word on these conversations. I hope you enjoy, everyone. Octavio, here we are. How are you doing, my man? I'm really well. Thank you very much for asking. How are you doing? Doing good. We met... I think it was like eight years ago at Tara Judell's Anusara Immersion in Sydney. Wow. I think it was eight about eight years. I think it was about eight years ago, 2010, maybe 2011. Do you know for sure? No. No. I, no, that, that probably sounds about right, though. Yeah. I know it's a, a Tara Judell way back when kind of connection. Yeah. And we were both going deep. You were in uh, some big transitions <laughs> moving from kind of what seemed like what you expressed as being like purely bhakti, like just bhakti and then bringing back in the Hatha yoga. And it seemed like Tara Judel and the Anusara movement was a big part of that, huh? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Tara Judel just on her own is just such a phenomenal human being. Yeah. Um, who, you know, is just, she, she's just a, a, a light in terms of just her um, her presence and also her understanding and application of, of yoga, so she was um, she was a sort of transitional piece for me in between my first teacher, who I was with for about um, you know I was living with him for about seven years, and then um, I've been studying with uh, Rod Stryker pretty intensely for the last three or four, and you know Tara was just a a, a really beautiful bridge between those two points. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and and I'm, still in, I'm still in contact with Tara and we're still very, very good friends. Wonderful. Yeah, she's yeah. doing great work, huh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And how have you found bridging all of the different elements of yoga into now what you would call, uh, what I would call as well as uh, tantric hatha with a, with a flavor of bhakti? What would you call it right now that you're offering at the practice, <laughs> huh? I mean, it's just such an it's just such an ever evolving thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's one of the the important teachings of yoga mm-hmm. is that um, we should always be up for assessing our practices and being willing to um, adapt them and and change them as we ourselves evolve. So I feel like it's um it's it's just a very natural progression of things. Starting, um, you know, for, for me, I started very physical. And then dropped the physical, went very, very much bhakti, and now I'm just sort of finding a way to to really blend the two together, which I feel is um, the way that it was intended to be, sort of bhakti-infused, you know, self-effort 
I agree. And I mean, any of the methods of yoga, even though we tend to love to separate them into different schools and different labels, different names, you take any of them deep enough and they become the same thing, essentially, don't they? Essentially, the, 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 the end point or the goal or, you know, it's, it's the same. It's one and the same. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your, uh, your catchphrase, keeping tradition alive and <laughs> what is yeah. it? Uh, mindless vinyasa. Is dead. He's dead. <laughs> I, wanna, I love that. But I want us to speak a bit about that because sure. I've heard a new, you could say, conversation coming up in regards to mm. that this whole notion that modern yoga and what we would call, what you would call mindless vinyasa isn't actually like a dilution of yoga. Mm. I mean, I, th- I think it is my initial reaction mm-hmm. I get pissed off about it. I uh, I get mm-hmm. quite reactive about it, and I also think it's quite uh, mindless. And uh, yeah. but I've also heard the the opposing view, the uproar of like, no, nah, man, like look look at look at the actual history of yoga, and it was all very much the same. <laughs> but I don't know. I'd love for you to speak to that a bit about uh, sure. how you find the kind of modern movement of vinyasa. And that, yeah, the, the the glamorization of it, and what you feel uh, you're offering, and just that whole thing, that conversation. How how long do you have, Stuart? I've got oh, I've got <laughs> no, literally, I've got two hours, but I'll give you uh, okay. ten okay. minutes on that subject. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, I think um, you know, I'm I'm definitely in your camp, Stuart, and. Um, I feel like a lot of the tradition has been lost and that's not necessarily um, a bad thing that people have innovated. And I mean, Krishnamacharya was an innovator. There's a wonderful book from Mark Singleton called The Yoga Body, which really tracks back the the roots of modern asana, um, um, you know, the modern sort of postural side of yoga. And and what he speaks about is that, you know, 90 to 95% of what we practice these days on the mat, a lot of the standing poses and, and these sort of um, things, they weren't around more than 100 years ago. Before Krishnamacharya um, was commissioned and employed to come up with a modern movement system to develop the, the Indian culture into something more strong and physically robust, um, Yoga asana did not look that way. It was very much about floor poses, you know, seated poses, deep seated twists, belly down, back bends, elbows in the guts, headstand, shoulder stand. And that was pretty much it. I mean, if we look in the traditional text, there, there, there is no reference to any standing poses other than Garudasana, eagle pose. And that is simply because of the effect that it has on the dual synchronization of the brain hemispheres which is an important piece in getting energy into Sushumna. You need the, you need the solar and lunar sides of the brain and the body co-activated to access that center. So we see Garudasana there, but other than that, we don't see the warriors. We don't see the standing laterals and these sort of things. And that doesn't mean that they're not good. It just means that they don't come necessarily from tradition. They were grafted on tra- tra- to tradition to suit a specific purpose. And, that's great, but we have to understand that they are the, the modern, um, more sort of dynamic and strength-building asanas. They are there to serve a purpose. And um, 
we, I, I believe that if we are going to move in that direction, then we have to move equally in the opposite direction and make sure that we hold to the traditional roots of yoga because the reality is it's the traditional stuff that is going to uh, help us develop the internal capacity to meditate and be still, which is in, in my opinion and in my teacher's opinion. And as far as I'm aware in the opinion of the tradition of yoga, meditation is the goal. So, so uh, go, yeah. yo, go yoga, beer yoga, uh, you know, <laughs> blue light disco yoga. Do you think? Oh that? man! <laughs> I, I mean, I'm in the I'm in the thick of it here. Like in Changu, yeah. it's just the, it's just like an absolute uh, yoga Las Vegas. It's hilarious. Well, it's becoming um, like that here as well in Fremantle. There's so much, so much on offer. There's some really good stuff as well, but a lot yeah. of um, a lot of the fad stuff. A lot of the Disco yeah. yoga and goat yoga and, and beer, beer yoga. <laughs> it's so wild. And, um, it's so wild. I, I am trying to see the, the blessings in it and it is getting people into a feeling of community and getting people feeling yeah. good. I But my instant reaction is, fuck, man, this is just bullshit. Yeah, I know. I, I hear you, Stuart. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I'm very much like that. My natural input, you know, inclination is to, is to, um, judge and, um, you know, be heavy like that. But I'm starting to recognize that that isn't actually good for my immune system and it's not good for my state of mind. So I'm trying to find, um, a little bit more peace with everything. And, you know, I've spoken to my teacher about this at length and, and what he says is that, you know, in the beginning, um, because we are usually quite tamasic when we um, come to yoga, uh, almost anything initially will get us moving out of tamas, get us out of inertia, out of some stuck patterns. And that's great. And, you know, it, honestly, I mean, I've never done goat yoga and I've never done beer yoga, but anything that challenges habitual ways of thinking and showing up, it is going to break some patterns and establish a little bit of new momentum. The, the issue is, uh, according to Yoga Rupa, and I agree with him, is that this, this kind of rajas, this kind of momentum, it cannot sustain itself for very long. So it'll help you make changes quite quickly, but then through the process of evolving, we then have to become more skillful and more selective with rajas and how we use it, which means that our choices for practice actually get narrower and narrower if we want to continue moving towards sattva. Yeah, for listeners that don't know that dialogue, and there would be some, do you want to speak about yep. tamas, rajas, sattva, and that, that sure, yogic uh, journey of balancing those threads? Yeah, absolutely, mm. for sure. So tamas is basically inertia, it's stuckness, it's it's the ways that we are stuck in our life and in our practice, and it's going to show up differently for everyone. Maybe for some it's laziness, maybe for some it's um, uh, judgment, maybe for some it's even, um, you know, overworking. Like tamas shows up in a lot of different ways, but any way that we are stuck in our life, that is tamas. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of, you know, it's a weightiness, it's a, 
It's a density. Um, and eventually the, the idea is to move from this place of darkness and density towards more clarity and freedom and lightness. And in order to do that, we need momentum. Which is the Rajas. Which is the Rajas. So in the beginning, um, almost any kind of momentum will be beneficial for us. However, Rajas, Rajas can only go, it, it's momentum, so it can only go either towards Tamas or towards Sattva. It can go towards inertia or it can go towards clarity. And for a little while, it might be going towards clarity, towards sattva. For example, when I started, I was doing a lot of um, ashtanga and a lot of powerful vinyasa. And that was amazing in the beginning because it got me moving. It got me out of my stuckness. It opened up a whole new set of um, skills and opportunities and, and, and friendships and communities and all of these sort of things. And that was amazing. But as I started to move beyond my patterns, that momentum and that heat eventually turned to overstimulation and overheating and um, an amplification of some of the more fiery tendencies that I have inside of myself. And what I actually needed to do probably about five years before I actually made a change was to slow down my practice, start holding poses for longer working more with meditation, more with cooling asanas, you know, still find ways to produce rajas and keep the momentum, but do it in a much more mindful way. And then comes sattva, the meditative tranquility. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because rajas on its own is not going to allow the mind to um, meditate, Mm -hmm. to to achieve that goal of yoga and i think it can be confusing for us in our culture where we get hooked on the rajas like it feels good at first and like you said that you probably should have slowed down five years earlier but it felt good by five i mean 10 (laughs) (laughs) but it feels great you know and then then tamas generally comes in and burnout or depression or fuck this isn't good Yeah, exactly. But then that can be an opportunity to drop into the sattva, can't it? Uh, Of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, one way or another, we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Life is is so generous like that, and it's always going to provide us with opportunities to refine ourselves, either through, like, breakdown and getting smashed to pieces, injury, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, as a result of just this overstimulation. Which was my Um, case, for sure. And and mine, you know, yeah. I think we're both from the school of hard knocks and, mm-hmm. and we, you know, as much as people can tell us this and that, we kind of need to find out for ourselves. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's okay. That's a path too. It's maybe not the quickest path, but it's, um, it's definitely a way. And while we're getting kind of uh, just fierce and candid with our dialogue. Sure. So you're teaching tantric yoga, essentially. Yes. In a big way. Uh, what are your feelings and perceptions on this movement of like neo-tantra? Uh, it's, uh, it's bullshit, Stuart. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, to say that the, the sexual side of tantra is, um, some I've heard people say, you know, it's, it is a part of tantra or even it's, it's 1% of tantra. It's really not even 1%. I'd say it's 
0.001%. And it was always, um, it was always kept aside for those very, very advanced adepts that had mastered the right-handed path. Mm -hmm. So they've already awoken their Kundalini through the practices of Raja Yoga and Hatha Yoga. And they're already a master of their mind, a master of their body and a master of their energy so that they can then, you know, go into this um, left-handed path and, um, you know, not have it become a distraction or an addiction. Mm-hmm. And it was so also I'm, often done in a way to really uh, to bump up against one's uh, taboos and one's uh, configured boundaries, wasn't it? Like it was a yogic, fierce practice of really pushing the boundaries. It wasn't just about delight, wasn't it? Oh, no. I mean, it really had nothing to do with delight, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, the, the, the sexual practices of yoga are so unsexy. They're so, you know, it's like woman sits on man's left knee for three hours. Man cups woman's right breast. She's holding, you know, the guy's genitalia. They're both chanting mantra in perfect stillness for three hours. It's like, it's not, it's not chocolate smearing and eye gazing. And it really isn't that it's like a really ritualistic um, situation like all of yoga is, you know, if we look at the way that the traditional pujas are run and the, 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 the quality of attention that the priests are paying when they're offering their, um, you know, rice and ghee and mantras into the fire, it's the same kind of precision. It really, the, the, it wasn't a, it wasn't essential, a sensual act so much. It was more about discipline, science, to stimulate a lot of power. Yeah, it's a it's such an interesting conversation that because uh, uh, yeah, I'm surrounded by a lot of these uh, neo tantric practitioners, and similar reactivity comes in me to what we just spoke yeah. of with the other kind of uh, fads. Yeah. And then I try to see the beauty in what's going on. And I do see some. I do see yeah. sure. it again being a foundation, a sangha for uh, a lot of people that have been, you know, either sexually abused, uh, addicted to sex, or yeah. fully afraid of sex and a lot of suppression and fear in that domain. And it does seem, I've observed it being potentially a helpful platform to at least bring attention to those areas, but more commonly I see those wounds getting exploited, getting exploited and uh, shaming and uh, even like a competition of who can be the most orgasmic, who can be (laughs) the the most. uh, So definitely upon just objective observation, I try to zoom out and just watch it, just like, okay, don't, don't react but it, it, it often, more often than not, comes back to, holy shit, this is really, it's a lot of really young practitioners. Yeah, like, it is. Uh, you know, these people calling them like sexual alchemists and tantric masters that aren't even 30, you know, still yeah. like in Saturn Returns and prior. And, um, yeah, prior. <laughs> and I just find it challenging to see that it's a healthy 
balanced arena for like transformation. But uh, yes. it's it's been interesting nonetheless just to observe it. And I, I hope it does mature into um, deep healing and actual yoga, you know. Yeah. And you'd yeah. be seeing a lot of that in Bali, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I kind of keep I, – I was, I was overexposed to it um, when I was living with my first teacher in Thailand. Um, we were um, – about 10 minutes away from what was, I think it's been shut down now um, because of so many law lawsuits against it. Um, but it was one of the biggest uh, Tantra schools um, internationally. And, I, you know, I can't even um, count on forehands how many conversations I had with young women who had, had been... Um, misled and abused and very, very um, poorly mistreated at this school. And they were in a lot of psychological and emotional distress. Um, and that was just heartbreaking that this was happening in the, in the name of yoga. So I'm, I'm, I, I hear you and I have a, a lot of, um, I have a lot of emotion around this, um, a lot of emotion around this topic just because of, you know, because of my love for yoga, but also because of my love for humanity. And I just feel very, very um, sad that this is happening and, and sort of being exploited as something that's sacred, where really it's something that's quite, quite devilish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. you're a family man now, aren't you? I Deep am a family, family man. I am, um, I am, I am the, the happiest I've ever been and um, loving family life. Absolutely. It's been beautiful seeing your, your love for your beloved and the child and family life. It's been really beautiful to see it from a cyber distance, but seeing it nonetheless. And I can, I can, I can feel it. I can feel the devotion. I can feel the, the love. It's undeniable. How have you found uh the shift you could say from the inner practice and then mm -hmm. opening up the practice your yeah. beautiful school of yoga and yeah. now family life how are you how are you finding it in all all the flavors and all the honesty you can share about merging it all because uh, i'm i'm in a similar situation you are and you know i just want to really credit you for that because mm -hmm. um you know, you're a really big inspiration, Stuart, and I think that the way that you live your life and, and manage all of the things that you have going on, and um, I just think it's so beautiful, and I think that the world needs more um, role models like you and your amazing wife and your family, and I think for me, this is what gives me hope. Um, when I think about all of the things that's going on with, you know, Neo-Tantra and all of that, what gives me hope is seeing families and, and people people like you and your family and that it can be done in such a beautiful way. Um, so thank you. Well, well done to you, man. Oh, thank really, you, brother. Really amazing. Yeah, it's been beautiful. Yeah. It's been yeah. beautiful and challenging, every, everything, you know, because uh, I, <laughs> I had a few when – when we met, I yeah. was on a journey of very much a, a, um, a very simple path, a very much – the classic renunciate uh, 
monastic model and it was beautiful it was very simple yeah. it was very yeah. it was a great time it was a great time that i cherish and then shortly after that uh joe popped up into my life and kids popped up yeah. into my life but we yeah. actually met when i was deep in a different different life <laughs> that's for sure it was a different life yeah, yeah yeah life had different plans for you yeah but how are you finding it juggling business uh, deep, deep in your sadhana and, and family life. You know what I have um, found, and I and again, this is one of those things that I had read and been told, but I didn't know it until I experienced it, that when we have the support and nourishment of a healthy relationship and a healthy home life, the, the amount of power that comes out of that is extraordinary. Um, I'm doing more than I was previously to being in my current marriage and relationship, and I'm more energized Beautiful. and less, less tired and, you know, less, uh, less um, immune things going on. Um, and I think that really is the, that's been one of the greatest teachings that love is just the ultimate support system. Yeah. So, so it's, it's been absolutely um, amazing. And I have, I'm lucky enough to have a very, very conscious um, partner and wife in Emma. And um, she, she inspires me to be better than I am. And she's a, a keen yogi and a very, very dedicated um, meditator that, you know, that's the beginning of our day every day, no matter what's going on, we get up. That means we have to get up at four or it means we have to do meditate in an airport or on the plane or whatever it is. I know that she's with me and that we will, um, that that's how we start our day, no matter what. And that has just been such a, a revelation in my relationship life and also in my, my yogic life as well just feeling these two things blend together so seamlessly. Beautiful. Yeah, to have that foundation of a yoga practice, a meditation practice, it actually does feel pretty crucial for any relationship. Oh, oh man, absolutely. It's like, it's, it's uh, such a pillar. Yeah, Ram Dass often speaks of keep, keep God in the room. And it's really that keep when you're making love to your beloved, like keep, keep God in the room. And it really Boys. is that, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, we can do it without a practice, but rarely does one keep God in the room when, when we don't have a meditation yeah. practice or a yoga practice. For sure. sure. I yeah. don't think I could do it without God in the room, to be honest. Like, mm. you, you know, you, you, you obviously know what it's like to, to have kids running around and all that. And it, it isn't easy like to, I mean, it's not, it, it takes a lot of presence and a lot of time and energy to really um, love children. You know, I'm, I'm here with a, a five-year-old and uh, my stepdaughter who's just turned 18 and it's, it's a very different um, range, but it, it's, it's equally, um, there's a lot of, time and attention and love and presence required for both. So I can, I can see how it would be easy to justify, you know, I don't have time for practice, but the reality is 
I have to practice so that I can be present for them and for my wife and for everything else going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Like if God wasn't in the room for me, I would probably be making a mess of this situation, to be honest. Yeah, I hear you. And um, I've got to admit, I've had a period where I did drop the practice. Oh, fuck. Of course, of course. <laughs> we, we, we've all had those, Stuart, of course. And um, it was actually a good time. It was a good yep practice in you could say open-eyed practice it was while we were living with joe's dad while he was suffering with alzheimer's it was when soleil was just born and um i always had that that belief you can always find time to practice and and (laughs) up until that point (laughs) and you know i would would find a minute here and a minute there but that's all it was at that time we were getting like he would walk in on us while we were going to sleep he'd walk in us while we we're making love he'd walk in while we were practicing so yeah. um there was that and a crying needy young baby yeah. and yeah. um but that was good that it, it helped me become less attached to my like to my regime of the practice because i i didn't it was subtle and uh, mm. it just seemed the way it is before i was attached to my practice i was like yes. i need it and if I don't have it, I'm a mess, which is good to admit, I think. But then it came to that point, like, fuck, I don't even, I barely have a minute, like literally. Yeah. Yeah. So like that minute became yeah. so valuable. Like, no, nah, you don't have an hour. You don't have your two hours you're used to, like, drop in now. Yeah. And then the open-eyed practice of, like, being with him while he's accusing us of uh, stealing all his money or being right. with right. And um, that was really powerful for me in further just going beyond my uh, attachment of how long a practice needs to be. <laughs> yeah, practice can take many forms and it can take many different um, time frames as well. That is absolutely true. Stuart, I'm just going to plug you into yeah. the mains. I want to make sure that. Um, yeah, for sure. Let's see how this is going. We get a nice up closer of you, beautiful man. <laughs> there we go. I think we're uh, I think we're all awesome. back on again. Got it. Got it. Might have to change the angle slightly, but all good. Perfect. All good. Great. And the power of mantra became even more powerful. Of like, oh my goodness, being with. Uh, with him as he's not recognizing me as he's accusing me or whatever in wow in his Stuart, uh, wow man i just want to i just want to honor what you're saying like mm. that's that's yoga yeah that's that's yoga and like, that's what got revealed you know like whoa observing yeah, yeah. where i'm freaking out observing where the the clash is and wow doing the mantra there and then and gazing into his soul then and there and fuck it was tough yeah, but man. Absolutely. It was some of the richest practice I've done, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he's really gifted you in mm-hmm. that. You know, he's really been a guru in that in that regard. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That guru in disguise uh notion. Yeah. That was just told <laughs> before then, you know. <laughs> Cause it was every day and it was relentless and it was full on and oh, I mean, bless your heart, bro. Like, <laughs> really. 
but it was, it was, it was beautiful. And it taught me, uh, and I kind of bhakti beyond what we think bhakti is, you know? Yeah. It's Maha Bhakti. Yeah. 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 But Octavio, I want to uh, respect your time. Is there any uh, upcoming courses or trainings you want to speak about what you're going to be getting into at the practice? Oh, well, thanks, Stuart. Um, you know, we've got ongoing uh, teacher trainings um, for those people who want to come and look at the, um, the, the right-handed path of traditional Tantra. For so people that thing. haven't heard that languaging, what would you get a bit more descriptive? What's the right-handed mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's a way of, um, you know, using asana, pranayama, mantra, mudra, bandha, meditation to master our own minds and energy so that we can be more of a dynamic, um, fearless, loving, compassionate, patient um, force in the world for good. Yeah. When is your next course, your next training? Uh, the next one's in March, mid, mid-March here at the practice. Beautiful. And what would you yes. describe the left-handed? <laughs> oh, wow, man, that's, that... the, that's the radical path. Uh-huh. I mean, the left-handed path is um, it's, typically, it's typically looking at three different things, and that is uh, sex, as we've already spoken mm-hmm. about, in, intoxicants, and what's called necromancy, mm-hmm. which is about communing with uh, the dead. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these practices will happen in... Um, traditionally will, will happen in graveyards and um, cremation grounds and things like this. So this is really uh, this is really what the left-handed path is about. It's not for the faint-hearted and it's certainly not for the uninitiated. It's the, it's the, it's the radical path for those that are truly ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the um, tantric masters that I've uh, – been around I often just bring in that conversation of what some of the classical tantricas would do of you know eating flesh off dead bodies right. you know and right. uh, and sitting yeah. doing their meditation in graveyards and often yeah. they're not aware of that radical yeah practice of of these classic tantricas you know I know it's like yeah this is what you're this is what you're getting involved mm. with know what you're know what you're signing up for yeah but you're focusing more on the right yeah, we won't be doing any excursions to cremation grounds or uh, we won't be uh, smearing each other in chocolate sauce or any of that sort of stuff. We, we, we like the old school way. We're all about, you know, self-effort and, um, you know, sci- the scientific application of body, breath, and mantra is a big part as a way to, to guide ourselves towards meditation and towards touching that part of ourself that is infinite. And um, what are your views, what are your current views on the intoxicants, on the, on the psychedelics that are so prevalent in spiritual paths these days? What's your current view on it all? You know, I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of that myself. I was involved with sort of ayahuasca communities for, um, you know, a little bit of time. Um, and I think it can be an uh, interesting peek behind the curtain but I think to really um, stabilize Kundalini, to really stabilize awakening, then it has to be something that we systematically earn and establish 
through committed effort over time um, so that it's not just a peak behind the curtain and then things go back to normal, but it's uh, something, it's an awakening that becomes ingrained and a little, it's definitely the slower path to, to use Hatha Yoga. It's a lifetime path, but it's more, it's more stable um, and I think it's more humble. It's, it's like, I'll do the work. I'll, you know, I'll trust my teachers, put in the effort and slowly, slowly, um, the truth will be revealed as I earn it. Yeah. Well put. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah. I remember, uh, again, coming back to Ramdas, my teacher sharing of when he initially <laughs> went to India and that was in his <laughs> LSD days and he yeah. took a whole lot of LSD to Maharaji, yeah. to Neem Kareli Baba, yeah. and gave him enough to, you know, put, I think, like 12 people into a deep trip. And it just oh, went, went straight through him. So he's like, yeah. okay, fuck, uh, that did nothing. We'll give him more. Yeah. And I'll make, make sure he didn't toss it over his shoulder. I'll make sure. Yeah, he, yeah. Let's give him more. And that is just sitting there. Yeah. And, um, and then Maharaj, said, I mean, you could, you could take this and be with Christ for a moment. Yeah. Or you could do the real practice, do the real yoga and be Christ. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Just gave me shivers. Yeah. yeah. So it's exactly that, huh? Yeah. Wow. Bless him. That was a that was a great soul on the mm. planet. And yeah. uh, Ram Das, also your teacher, is a, that's a that's a you know that's a wonderful thing for you to have found mm. such a such a teacher. Yeah, in, it's been life. beautiful. Yeah. Octavio, brother, it's been great being with you. Thank you so much, Stu. Thanks so much for having me and inviting me onto your show. It's um, it's been really great. Lovely to check in with you and yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'll be in Bali uh, in the near future. I hope to be with you in person real soon. That would be great. Please let me know, yeah. and I'd love to see you over here. Mm-hmm. And love your work. Keep it up. Really, really appreciate you. Much love. You too, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks much for love, listening, man. everyone. Take care. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave links below to Octavio's work. If you are in Bali, I highly encourage that you drop into Changu, drop into Bali and have an awesome yoga experience. Dive into the courses, dive into the training, stay in touch with their online content. I love what they're doing. If you want to support the podcast, please leave comments, leave reviews, share the love. It is so deeply appreciated. If you feel like further supporting the podcast, you can hop onto my website, stuartwatkins.org, and there are donate buttons there. If you feel like supporting in that way, it is deeply, deeply appreciated. Much love, everyone. Until next time.